Good morning, Crosspoint family. My name is Jason Kane. I'm the discipleship pastor here at our church. This week, I had the great privilege of traveling with our pastor to St. Louis, Missouri, as we attended the Southern Baptist Convention. During this time, as we gather to see how we can better reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, several resolutions come to the forefront. Pastor was able to speak to one that has been dividing our convention for several years. And at this point, I would love for you to take a look at what he had to say. My fellow Southern Baptist, I'm not speaking to you today just as a pastor of a church. I am the great-great-grandson of two men who fought in the Confederate Army. One is buried in a Confederate cemetery in Lynchburg, Virginia. One fought in the battle of my hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. I cannot undo what they fought for, but they cannot undo what I wish they had done and what I pray we will do today. Make no mistake, this is a seminal moment in our convention. I believe that God has brought the SBC to both the kingdom and our culture for such a time as this. What we do today with this issue will reverberate through this nation, not just today, but I believe a hundred years from now. This is not a matter of political correctness. It is a matter of spiritual conviction and biblical compassion. We have a golden opportunity to say to every person of every race, ethnicity, and nationality that Southern Baptists are not a people of any flag. We march under the banner of the cross of Jesus and the grace of God. Today, we can say loudly and clearly to a world filled with racial strife and division that Southern Baptists are not in the business of building barriers and burning bridges. We're about building bridges and tearing down barriers. So I close with this. There is one thing no one can deny. This flag is a stumbling block to many African-American souls to our witness. And I wise to say that all the Confederate flags in the world are not worth one soul of any race. Over the past couple of years, I've been able to have so many important conversations and interactions with our pastor. And I have to admit that this week was one of the most proud moments I've ever experienced while being with James Merrick. To my surprise, he addressed this issue with such passion, with such clarity, and with such conviction that I could not do anything but tell him how much I loved him. Our country needs a church that is united. Our country needs the body of Christ to demonstrate all the love that we have to give. I know that this one particular resolution does not unite every church. However, it is a great step toward us seeing unity in the body of Christ. Dr. Merritt, I love you. Church family, let's be a people who represents Christ and the unity that we have at the cross. Thank you. Um, I, I don't want to take long. Believe it or not, when I went to the uh, SBC, uh, I didn't even know there was a resolution on the flag, and I didn't even know what, when I got into the call, hallway that afternoon, didn't even know what it said. I just heard it was a very weak resolution, and long story short, I was sitting there, and after I read it, I just knew this, my heart and spirit of God told me that I needed to speak to it. 
Believe it or not, everything you just heard I said, I put together in about five minutes before I got up to speak. That's a, it was a God thing. It really was. And I, I just want to be honest. I know not everybody liked it. And uh, you can imagine we've gotten some um, good emails and we've gotten some bad emails and we've gotten some ugly emails. And that kind of goes with the territory. So I, I just want to say this. I'm so grateful that we have a church that demonstrates what I talked about. I love our church. I love the diversity in our church. I love the fact that we've got Anglo-Americans, African-Americans. We've got Asians. We've got Indians. And I've just made up my mind, and, um, and I, I think, I, as I said, I've got, I don't just have skin in the game. I've got flesh and blood in the game because I do come from a Confederate heritage. But I will tell you, a long time ago, I, I made up my mind that the cross of Jesus Christ is far more important to me than anything else on the planet. And so I'm just grateful that we have a church that understands it and gets it and understands that we're not in the business of building barriers and burning bridges. We really are in the business of, of breaking down barriers and building bridges. So I commend you for being the church that you are and for letting me pastor such a great people. And I just wanted to say that to all of you today. So I want to uh, welcome those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online. I'm here at our Sugarloaf campus, and we're so thrilled to have you today. Um, I want to encourage you, by the way, if you're ever just watching online or, or watching uh, even on television, but you live anywhere in the Atlanta area, we do have uh, two locations, one here and one about 20 minutes north of us, and I'd encourage you to be a part of one of those campuses. I want to tell you about a Thanksgiving day that I will remember above every Thanksgiving day I've ever had. It's one that I will absolutely never forget above every other. And it wasn't because of the great food, and I promise you at my house, we have excellent food. And we have a wonderful family. We'll have 30, 35 people at my house every Thanksgiving, and it's just a sweet family. And it wasn't the great fellowship, but we have a lot of fun. The reason why I'll always remember this particular Thanksgiving day is because of the tears that were coming down my mother's face. So let, let me explain what happened. We, this was back when mom and dad lived just a few miles up the road here in a little town called Oakwood. And, and so we had all gathered at mom's house. I was there with my family and Richard was there with his family and Mike was there. And uh, this was back in the day when my three sons were very, very young. And mom was in the kitchen cooking and my dad and I, we were in the living room and Rick, Richard, and we were just kind of talking and shooting the breeze. Well, there's one thing that my oldest brother, Richard, you call him Rick, but there's, there's, there's one thing he cannot stand. If you really want to fire him up, slap him on the back of the head, okay? He just does not like that at all. Well, so unusual for me, but I got in the flesh for about three seconds, and I walked up behind him, and I slapped him in the head. Well, immediately, he jumps up, starts chasing me, and, and so I ran around the dining room table, and I was able to get the dining room table between me and him, and so he was dodging one way, and I'm dodging the other way, and he's trying to get at me. Well, I lost my balance. When I did, I fell back into mom's china cabinet, and my elbow went through this custom-made glass and just shattered that glass. Well, mom, here's the commotion. She comes running in. She takes one look at this shattered glass. She couldn't care less about my elbow. That's not what got her. It was the glass that I had shattered. And I mean, I'll never forget it. She buried her head in her hands. She just started bawling her eyes out. Now, any son knows, if you love your mom, any son knows that the one thing you can't stand is to see your mom cry. Well, at that moment, my brother Richard and I looked at each other in horror, and we immediately knew what we had to do, and we had to do it for two reasons. First of all, we had grieved our mother. 
We had absolutely broken her heart. That china cabinet was her pride and joy. It had custom-made glass she'd put in it. And there, somehow we had to alleviate her sorrow. We were not going to have a very good Thanksgiving. But there was another reason that was just as big and in some ways maybe bigger that we had to do something and do it quick. It's because of my dad. My dad was not grieved. My dad was ticked. And my brother and I took one look at dad and we realized not only is mother's happiness at stake, our physical survival is in the air. And so believe it or not, Thanksgiving Day, we found somebody that had, would, would, was able to fix that glass, put the glass in before we had lunch, and, and everybody lived happily ever after. Because there is a truth that we all know, and here's that truth. Nothing hurts more than seeing a loved one hurting, and nothing hurts worse than realizing you're the one that hurt them. Nothing hurts worse than when somebody you love is hurting, and then when you know that you're the one that hurts them, that really is tough. If you're a parent, you understand this. It's one thing if your kids make you angry, right? Because you can kind of get over that. But it's another thing when they break your heart. It's one thing when they anger you. It's another thing when they grieve you. Because when they anger you, you'll, you'll kind of maybe have a little yelling match or screaming match or send them to the room or whatever. But you get over it, right? You make, me, you make amends and you go about your business. But if they say something that cuts you to the quick or if they do something that really hurts you, it can put a wound in you that can take days, weeks, months, I've even seen years to get over and for that hurt to heal. Now, I say all that for this reason. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's someone that goes with you everywhere. He never leaves you. And there's someone that loves you more than anyone else in the world. And there's someone you should never, ever want to hurt, and that someone is the Holy Spirit. If you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series we started a couple of weeks ago. We're calling it Holy Who. Because I have found that there are a lot of people that really need to learn about the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just go back and kind of catch you up on what we said. We said to you a couple of weeks ago that there are only two types of people in the world. You can categorize everybody you meet, everybody you know, everybody that lives next door to you. There are only two types of people that live in this world. There are people who have the Holy Spirit and there are people who don't. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're a believer. If you don't, you're not. So the real mark we said of a Christian is someone that has the Holy Spirit living in them because the first thing we said that God does for a believer, when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to you. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Only two kinds of people. So what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to address two problems that people have with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is true both of believers and unbelievers. One of the problems I'm actually addressing is, is, that, is, the, is the problem that a lot of us, even a lot of us have been going to church for a long time, we're really ignorant of the Holy Spirit. We know maybe a good bit about God. We probably know even more about Jesus. But if truth be told, we don't know very much about the Holy Spirit. And that's not unusual. There's a very interesting story in the book of Acts when, when the apostle Paul goes to this city called Ephesus. I've been to Ephesus many times. And, and he found some disciples there. And so he's talking to them about their relationship to Christianity. And he just asked them a very innocent question. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And listen to what they said in Acts chapter 19, verse 2. They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And believe it or not, there are many people in the world, particularly unbelievers, 
They, they would say the same thing. I, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit. I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I have no concept of the Holy Spirit. And quite frankly, there are a lot of believers who really don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. So the one thing we're trying to address is just plain ignorance. I know, realize we don't know a lot about the Spirit, but there's a greater problem to me, and that's the problem of indifference. There are so many people, they're just indifferent to the Holy Spirit. You talk to many Christians, if they know anything about the Holy Spirit, they don't know much, they know very little, and they're really pretty satisfied with what little that they do know. And just to be real frank and honest, for the average believer on the average day of their average life, the Holy Spirit's not even on their radar screen. The average believer doesn't give a second thought to the Holy Spirit as he goes about his daily business. And, and, and I'm just being very honest. Many believers, and I'm sure there's some, of, some in this room, many believers are just satisfied with being saved. They're just glad to know their sins have been forgiven. They're just glad to know that when they die, they're going to heaven. They're just glad to know they have eternal life. They're just glad to know they're going to spend eternity with God. But they're really not all that interested in, in, in living a spirit-filled Spirit-drilled, spirit-thrilled, spirit-directed, spirit-honoring life. It's just not on the radar screen. It's just not high on their agenda. Well, so let me tell you why this series is important to everyone. And by the way, you may be here today, and you may not be a believer. You may say, I don't know much about, forget the Holy Spirit. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know about, much about God. I don't know much about the Bible. By the way, be praying. There's a man that's coming to our church today. I just got a text a while ago from a member of our church. There's a man coming from our church who, is to, who practices a totally different religion uh, than Christianity, a totally different faith because Christianity is not a religion. You know what he told her this morning? This morning he told her this. I know nothing about Jesus. He knows nothing. Come into our church today. So pray, pray for this man. But my point is, there, there, are, there are so many people that come to church and, and, and they're not believers and they walk in and they go, great. I finally pick a day to come to church and hear what's this guy talking about, some Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you why this series is a big deal. Whether you're a believer or not a, big, a believer, it is a very important series, and here's why. You cannot be rightly related to God the Father unless you're rightly related to God the Son. And you cannot be rightly related to God the Father or God the Son unless you are rightly related to God the Holy Spirit. So if you're not a believer, you need to hear this series because you can't be rightly related to God the Father unless you're rightly related to God the Son, but you can't rightly be related to God the Son unless you're rightly related to God the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you need the same thing because even though you may know Jesus, even though you may love Jesus, even though Jesus may live in you in a real sense, you're not living a spirit-filled life. So let me tell you what we're doing today. We're going to talk about a subject that I, I, and I'm not a betting man, but if I were a betting man, I would bet, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't bet $1,000 of my money, but this guy on the front row, he's a rich man. I'd bet $1,000 of his money, all right? I would bet $1,000 of his money that you have never heard a message on what I'm going to talk about today. As a matter of fact, I would go further than that. I would say 99% of us in this room have never even given a second thought about what we're going to talk about today. 
Because the Apostle Paul, a man by the name of Paul, made, made, made an amazing statement that gives a very somber warning, particularly to believers, about our relationship to the Holy Spirit. I want to show you what Paul said. If you're on a copy of God's Word or an iPhone or an iPad, I want you to turn to a book called Ephesians, and I'll tell you how to find it. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Go to the New Testament. You'll hit the Gospels. Just start going back toward the back of the Bible. And about seven or eight or nine books down the road, you'll hit a book called Ephesians. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, keep in mind, you cannot be rightly related to God the Father and God the Son if you're not rightly related to God the Holy Spirit. And so with that as a backdrop, listen to what Paul says to this church in Ephesus. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, let's let that sink in. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can grieve. That word grieve, you know what that literally means in the Greek language? It means cut to the quick. It means to break someone's heart. It means to call someone great sorrow. Let me, let me give you a picture. You can actually bring tears to the eyes of the Holy Spirit. You can actually crush the spirit of the Holy Spirit. You can actually break the heart of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just stop right there. That tells us something in and of itself about the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a thing. It's not an it. He's not a, he's not a power. He's not an influence. He's not a force. He is a person. How do I know that? Because you can't grieve an influence. You can't grieve a thing. You can't grieve a power. You can only grieve a person. So just as God the Father is a real person and God the Son is a real person, God the Holy Spirit is a real person. He has feelings just like you and I do. That word grieve is a love word. You can only grieve somebody who loves you and somebody that you love. You can anger your enemy. You can aggravate a stranger. You can only grieve somebody that loves you. You know, we talk so much in the church about the love of God and God is love. And we talk so much about the love of Jesus, and Jesus loves us. He died for us. But you know, we don't talk very much about the love of the Holy Spirit. Well, listen to this verse. Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. There's the love of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves you. The Holy Spirit loves me. And the Holy Spirit wants what's best for you and me. The Holy Spirit wants to take you to only the places where you should go. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you to do things that you should do. So here is the question I hope you're asking right now. So what are those things that a believer can do or an unbeliever can do that grieves the Holy Spirit? What are those things that a believer can do or an unbeliever can do that breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit? Well, in this passage we're going to look at in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us several things that breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit. He tells us three things we must do if we don't want to bring what I call a holy hurt to the Holy Spirit. Now, be ready because this is going to be super, super practical. It's going to be super, super convicting because it's convicted me. And I promise you, it's going to, by the way, let me just say this to you. This is good news for everybody. I'm going to hit everybody in this room. No elbows today, so be careful, all right? Because if I don't get you on the first one, I'll get you on the second one. I'll get, second, I'll get you on the third one, okay? And I'll get me too. All right, number one, three things we must do if we do not want to break the heart of the Holy Spirit. Number one, we must control our tongues. We must control our tongues. 
You know, when I was a boy growing up, I bet you guys remember this. You remember the age-old question? If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Remember that question? But when I heard that question, the first question I asked was, what idiot made up that question? I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind, right? But, but, but in all seriousness, the answer to that question is easy. The answer is yes. You say, well, how do you know? Because there's always someone there to hear it because God hears it. God hears everything. And the Holy Spirit hears everything. There's someone that goes with you everywhere you go. He hears every word that you say, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. And so one of the ways that you can grieve the Holy Spirit is the way you use your tongue. One of the ways you can grieve the Holy Spirit is with the very words that you speak. For example, one of the things that grieves the Holy Spirit is when we tell a lie, when, when we don't tell the truth. In John 16, 13, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Now, there's one thing you can know about the Holy Spirit. He only deals in truth. He doesn't deal with lies. He doesn't deal with fables. He doesn't deal with myths. The only thing he deals with is truth. And the only thing the Holy Spirit of God will lead you to do is to speak the truth. So that's why Paul says back up in verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm convicting all of us here, so let me just ask you a very honest question. Have you ever told anybody a lie so that you would not hurt their feelings? Now, I've, I have, okay? Sometimes to save my marriage. <laughs> right? Honey, do you like this dress? What am I going to say? Where did you shoot it? No, I love that dress, right? Okay. So, yeah, we've all done that. Well, I'm just letting you know, every time you lie, you hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit. And she says, well, pastor, what I do? When you get in those times when you feel like you have to lie, can I be honest? It's either better to say nothing or simply to give an honest answer. And by the way, that's true of all of us. We should all speak the truth in love, but we should always love each other enough to speak the truth. Now, there's an even greater problem that our tongue brings, and I think it causes a lot more grief to the Holy Spirit than anything else done in the church. And it's not lying, but I'll tell you one thing that really grieves the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what, guess what it is? It starts with the letter G. What? Gossip. Gossip. So Paul says this in verse 29. Do not, let any, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit, now this is important, benefit those who listen. Paul said, there's one thing, if you're a believer and you really are filled with the Spirit and you don't want to hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit, he says there's one thing that ought to come out of your mouth 100% of the time. And that's anything that's helpful, anything that is beneficial. Otherwise, it's gossip. And, and you know, he's talking about the benefit of those who listen. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let's just be honest. None of us in this room have ever shared gossip or listened to gossip that was helpful and beneficial. Now, let's just be honest about it. You know, that's why it's gossip. Every time you hear gossip, it's, it's hurting somebody. I've never heard any gossip that was meant to build somebody up. I've heard plenty of gossip that was meant to tear people down. You know, my boys growing up, as, 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 trying to disciple them and help them and, you know, 
to learn the good lessons of life, so I have to learn the hard lessons of life. And one of the things I've taught my boys many, many times, and I've had to learn this the hard way more than once, by the way, is this. You never have to apologize for what you don't say. You never have to apologize for anything you don't say. It pays not to gossip. This is Father's Day, and happy Father's Day, by the way, to all you dads out there. Let me tell you about a father who had to learn this lesson the hard way. He invited his boss over for dinner. And so he was hoping to score a few extra points, and he wanted maybe he was thinking about asking for a raise. And so he, he said to his wife, he said, look, I want you to make the best meal that you possibly can. I want the house spotless. We want to throw out the red carpet for the boss. But he lost everything when his little six-year-old boy came up to his boss, and he said, Mr. Smith, he said, where are your cards? And the boss said, excuse me? He said, well, where are your cards? And the boss said, son, what cards are you talking about? And the little boy said, I, I don't know. Dad just says you don't play with a full deck. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has only one desire for us, and that's to build us up. And that should be the only desire that we have for other people. So when it comes to the tongue, lying grieves the Holy Spirit. Just tell the truth. Gossip grieves the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't build someone up, don't say it. But I, I just have to be honest. I've got to address one other issue. That's not only big outside the church, but can I be honest, it's becoming big also in the church. It's not just big in the non-Christian community, it's big sometimes in the Christian community. And that's profanity. Crude jokes, dirty jokes, racist jokes, sexist jokes, homosexual jokes. For example, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 4, Nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, Coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. You, you know one of, the, one of the ways you can tell what kind of heart you have is what filthy language does to you when you hear it. If you've got a pure heart, if you've got a heart filled with the Holy Spirit, when somebody starts cursing and using profanity and using obscenities, it brings a grief to your heart. Well, if it affects you that way, how much more do you think it grieves the Holy Spirit when he hears obscenities and profanities coming out of the mouths of people who even say they're believers? And by the way, you probably know this, but we're living in a culture today where obscenity and profanity and swearing is at an all-time high. I was shocked to read this the other day. One out of every 100 words spoken today in public or private is a swear word. Swearing now begins in children, are you ready for this? Between ages three and four. It becomes a regular habit by the time they are 11 and 12. And what's even more disturbing is that young adults are now reporting that they learned their words first from their parents, then from their brothers and sisters, and then from their friends. Now, here's the other shocking thing. Nearly two-thirds of adults say they've got rules about children swearing at their home, but then admit they break their own rules on a regular basis. Nobody even blinks today. When God's name is dragged through the mud. Nobody even responds today. When you hear language so bad it would peel the bark off of trees. Well, I just want to tell you, God hears it. The Holy Spirit hears it. And it breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit that goes with us and lives in us when we do not control our tongues. So the first thing we need to learn to do if we don't want to break the heart of the Holy Spirit, just control our tongue. Second thing we need to do, we must control our temper. We need to learn to control our temper. Now, 
it's, it's amazing in this passage that Paul evidently thought this was such a big deal. He doesn't talk about it once. He actually talks about it twice. For example, in verse 26, he says this. He says, in your anger, do not sin. That says, don't not sin. I think Ricky Ricardo wrote that. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, here's what Paul said. Paul said, you can be angry and not sin. It's possible. But let's be honest. 95% of the time when we get angry, we're sinning. When, when, when we lose it, we lose it. If you've got a hair trigger temper, you fly off the handle at basically you're nothing. It grieves the Holy Spirit. But then Paul gives an even stronger admonition in verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, that word there to get rid of is, is one word in the Greek language. It's kind of an interesting word. It's a verse that literally means to lift up and to carry away. Um, I don't have a lot of household chores. Thank God I don't. But let me tell you one, my number one household chore. This is my job at my house. My job is to take out the garbage. That's my job. Every Wednesday night, Teresa gets the garbage together and gets all the uh, stuff together to take out and, and, and all the things you, you, know, you have to throw away. And so I, I take out the garbage. So every Wednesday night about 9.30, I literally go down the driveway, haul my garbage, take it out, and I leave it on the curb to be picked up. I was talking to Teresa a few months ago, and it just hit me. And I said to her one time, I said, can I ask you a question? You always have me take out the garbage. You never let me cook. Why don't you ever let me cook sometime and maybe you take out the garbage? You know what she said to me? She said, the reason why I have you take out the garbage is I know you can't burn the house down by taking out the garbage. So she, that, that's my job. But my point is, that's the word that Paul uses here. It's the word of, of taking your garbage out and leaving it by the curb. And what Paul is saying is, if you've got one of these hair-triggered tempers, if you have trouble controlling your anger, you need to treat it just like trash. Haul it off from your heart, put it out to the curb, and leave it where it belongs. You know, somebody has observed that anger is one letter short of danger. And we've seen that played out too many times. There's a term that we now know that nobody had even heard of 30 years ago. It's two words. You know what, that, what those words are? Road rage. You ever been around that? I've, I've witnessed it. Road rage. Road rage doesn't just happen on the highways. It happens in homes and it happens in hearts and it grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I noticed something, and if it's true about me, it may not be true about you. Have you ever noticed that when you lose your temper, you raise your voice? You ever notice that? Like, like that's going to make you more effective? And, and what it really does is it make you, makes you less effective. I found raising your voice never helps a situation. It only hinders. As a matter of fact, you know what I've learned? And I wish I, I, I mean, I'm, I've got to keep learning my lesson. But when you raise your voice, you just look more foolish to more people. There, there was a football player from University of Mississippi. And he went on spring break down to, to Florida. And he heard about this party that was being thrown for college kids, and so he was lonely and wanted to hang out with somebody, so he just walked over to this party. And he walked into this room, and there were three beautiful-looking females that were over in a group. They were standing over in a corner over there, and they were from an Ivy League school, and he didn't know what school they went to. And he was kind of shy, and he was trying to see if he could kind of make connection with one of these girls. So he walked over there. He's just an old southern boy from Mississippi. You know what? He walked over there, and he says, uh, where do y'all go to school? 
And one of those girls kind of snooty looked at him and she said, Yale. He said, where do y'all go to school? <laughs> now, <laughs> I love that joke. I just love that joke. Losing your temper, raising your voice, letting your temper control you rather than you controlling your temper. It doesn't just break the heart of your wife or your kids or your mom or your dad or your brothers or your sisters or your guy you work with. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, look, everywhere you go, you've got this Holy Spirit living in you. Learn to control your tongue. Learn to control your temper. And here's the last one. We must control our thoughts. Now, this is what we don't think about very much. We must control our thoughts. Now, remember what I said to you earlier. The Holy Spirit comes into you to make you just like Jesus. And he wants to make you just like Jesus. You know why? So that other people will want to be just like Jesus. Because he wants other people to be just like the Jesus that is in you. So here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, listen, he doesn't just take over on the outside. He takes over on the inside. He says, look, James, I don't want to just change your actions. I want to change your attitude. I don't want to just change your methods. I want to change your mind. So listen to what he says in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. He said, this is the way you used to be. When you were an unbeliever, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the, say that word with me, attitude of your minds. That's a powerful statement because the Holy Spirit doesn't just listen to every word you say. The Holy Spirit doesn't just look at everything you do. The Holy Spirit reads every thought that you think. And he is so sensitive that whenever our mind goes where our mind should not go, whether it's in the area of lust or the area of jealousy, or bitterness, it grieves him. It brings tears to his eyes. It breaks his heart. It just destroys him. See, we often forget, but, and, and we're, it's easy for us to do this, but it, we all know that we shouldn't say wrong things, right? We all know that. And we all know that we shouldn't do wrong things. I don't tell you that. But sometimes we forget it's just as wrong to think wrong as it is to act wrong, to talk wrong, and to say wrong. You say, well, Pastor, I, I need help. What am I supposed to do with my thought life? I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to let the Holy Spirit do what Paul said to a church in Corinth when he wrote these words. He said, you need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because listen, think about this. Every time we fail to do what God wants us to do, you know where that always starts? It always starts in your mind. Always. Always starts in your mind. The very first place sin ever begins, it begins in the mind. Let me give you an example. How does the sin of adultery always start? It always starts with the lust in the mind. How does the poison of bitterness get into our system? It is poured from the glass of anger in the mind. Why are we jealous of the success of other people? Because of the envy that we feel and have in our mind. Because remember what I said to you. 
Everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit goes right there with us. And that includes your thought life. You know, everywhere your mind wanders, the Spirit's there waiting on it. You say, well, why is our thought life so important to God? Is there not any area that God just says you can kind of do what you want to do? I mean, I mean if, if I'm thinking something right now, who's it hurting but me? Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. Do you know why God, the Holy Spirit, wants to control your thoughts as well as your tongue, as well as your temper? Because here's the bottom line, and you can't deny this. The way we think determines the way we feel. The way we feel determines the way we act. If we think depressing thoughts, we're going to feel depressed. If we feel depressed, we're going to act depressed. If we think thoughts that are angry, we're going to feel angry. And if we feel angry, we're going to act angry. Because think about this. There are only two sources of thought in your life. Only two. Every thought you have that comes in your mind only comes from one of two sources. There are satanic thoughts that lead you to temptation. And there are godly thoughts that lead you to inspiration. Well, the Holy Spirit not only wants us to act godly and talk godly, he wants us to think godly. He literally wants us to think the thoughts of God because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want to give you a practical illustration of how to do this because a lot of people try something and it never works. A lot of people say, man, I tell you what, I've just got to quit lusting. Well, how's that working out for you? I mean, let me give you an example how, how that doesn't work. You ready for this? You ready? Right now, don't you think about an elephant. Did you hear me? Did you? You're thinking about an elephant. Don't you laugh at me. You're think, are you thinking about an elephant right now? What did I tell you? Look at me. Focus. Did I tell you not to think about an elephant? But you're thinking about one, aren't you? Shame on you. Why? It does, doesn't work, does it? You know what I'm thinking about right now? The elephant in your head. All right, now look. Doesn't work. You say, okay, if that doesn't work, then what do I do? Watch this. That glass right now is full of air, right? Somebody says, hey, James, can you get the air out of that glass? Sure. All I got to do is this. Air's gone, water's in. All I got to do to get the air out of the glass is fill that air or fill that glass with something else. How do you control your thought life? You don't control it by saying, I just got to quit thinking that way. That's not going to work. The way you control your thought life is you fill your mind with godly thoughts. And you know the best way to fill your mind with godly thoughts? Read that book. Read that book. Why do you think I read my Bible every day? Why do you think I got up at 5.15 this morning and the first thing I do is read my Bible? Why do you think that? I want to think God's thoughts. I want, I want to read something where I can say, you know what? I can put that into my mind. You fill your mind with God's word. You fill your mind with scriptures. And you ask the Holy Spirit to replace bad thoughts with his thoughts. Now, here's where, here's where we're all going with this. If you love Jesus, then you love the Holy Spirit. If you love the Holy Spirit, you don't want to do anything that would grieve him. You don't ever want to bring tears to his eyes. You don't ever want to do anything that would bring sorrow to him and would break his heart. So, I'm going to wrap all this up. I want to say one last thing that I believe breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit as much as anything that we've already talked about. And I want to talk right now to unbelievers. I want to talk to some of you in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. You're not a believer. You're not sure whether you really are a believer or not. I want to say a word to those of you who have never trusted Jesus. Listen carefully. This is why the Holy Spirit's a big deal to you. The Holy Spirit 
has come to planet earth for one reason. I'm going to talk a whole lot more about this in August. But the Holy Spirit has come to planet earth for one reason. And that one reason is to point people to Jesus. That's the only reason he came. That's it. He wants to point people to Jesus. The greatest work that the Holy Spirit does is when he takes an unbeliever and he convicts that unbeliever of their sin, he convinces that unbeliever that they need a Savior, and then he connects that unbeliever to Jesus and brings them to eternal life by helping them place their faith in Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say to you if you're not a believer. God the Father loves you so much. He sent God the Son to die for you. God the Son came back from the dead, and he loves you so much. He sent the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could take you by the hand, and he could lead you to the one that died for you so that you could live with him for all eternity. And I want to tell you, when a man like me, who's just a messenger boy, that's all I am, when a man like me just stands up and just simply says to you as an unbeliever, God loves you. God wants to connect with you. God wants to have a relationship with you. You didn't just get here by evolutionary chance. You were put here by divine appointment. God put you here for a purpose. And the number one purpose God put you here for is to connect with that God that loved you so much. He sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. And all you've got to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust him as your Lord and Savior. And immediately, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can receive eternal life. You can live a life of purpose. And you can know that when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven with God. And when you look at God, for whatever the reason whatever excuse you want to give, and you say, no thanks, it just breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit. It brings tears to the eyes of the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So, don't be guilty of the holy hurt. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. If you're not a believer, become one today. If you are a believer, live a life 100% controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Amen.